Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips. I'm Tom Hayes, and we're doing the video cast for the week ending April 3rd, 2020. This is video cast number 24 and podcast number 14. Welcome, everybody. And I'd like to start off, obviously, the, the one of the big bits of news at the end of the week was... President Trump was able to communicate with uh, Vladimir Putin and MBS in Putin in Russia and MBS in Saudi Arabia. And it looks like they're going to get some type of cut done, 10 to 15 million barrels a day. Uh, oil had a, a record week in the history of the futures contract, uh, over 33 percent, I think it was up this week. So things are moving, and it's it's very good for the energy industry, very good for the U.S. economy, very good for our national security to retain oil independence. Um, but most important, it's good for the credit markets and borrowing costs. So what's the most one of the most important things that's been rattling the equity markets and why we've seen such volatility and why the Fed had to step in in such an aggressive way about a, two weeks ago and basically backstop every asset class with um, an unlimited checkbook is basically what they said um, was because of what was happening in credit markets and the liquidity evaporating. And that was largely a function of the knock-on effects of the high-yield market, which is heavily weighted to the energy sector, which was a double-barrel hit of obviously declining demand because of coronavirus and increasing supply because of uh, ill-timed decisions by Russia and Saudi Arabia to increase production into declining demand in an effort to take share, which backfired on them. And you saw in the last week um, they were shopping, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia was shopping a $10 billion pipeline and Russia was shopping interest in their Venezuelan oil, uh, because at the end of the day, they shot themselves in the foot and, uh, they can't, uh, finance their social, social programs, particularly in the face of the coronavirus, uh, and needing money for social programs. Number one, number two, they both have 500 billion of reserves. But they were both uh, going to have a cascade of uh, downgrades and not be able to borrow, which left uh, Russia's only choice uh, of uh, <clears throat> raising capital to start to sell off its gold reserves. They're one of the largest holders of gold, and that's why um, many, many people interested in gold were wondering why gold wasn't shooting up with all of the borrowing and all of the uh, balance sheet expansion is because the largest holders are in the greatest need of capital, uh, namely um, Russia would be net sellers, Italy will be net sellers, Germany could be net sellers. So as you have these central banks um, as net sellers, it overwhelms the um, inflation expectation story in the short term. So. Um, so that was really good news. Uh, I like President Trump said at the end of the day, not only um, brokering a deal with the Saudis and Russia to, for a 10 to 15 million barrel cut, maybe getting the U.S. involved in doing some cuts through the Texas Railroad Commissioner. And more importantly, is he put back on the table the most important thing that was proposed two weeks ago, which was filling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve with 77 million barrels of oil 
at record low prices. It was the opportunity of a lifetime for the country. Congress balked at it in the $2.3 trillion bill. They couldn't find a few billion dollars. And why that would have been good, it probably would have saved the Fed about 400 I would say $400 billion of balance sheet expansion if they had approved the 2 to $3 billion to buy oil at $20 a barrel. Um, but they didn't, and uh, so China stepped into the market. They, they were the big buyers in 2009 when, when oil went, WTI went down to 28 and 2016 and 33. So Congress did a great favor for China. They've been able to soak up a bunch of this cheap oil. Um, hopefully they'll put this separate bill out this week as was proposed after the close on Friday and we'll be able to fill up 77 million barrels. The other thing President Trump said, which was interesting, uh, he said, look for other places we can store it as well, uh, which means he wants to buy more, which would be fantastic for the taxpayers because you win two ways. Number one, we're using taxpayer money to buy low at, you know, now it's up to 30 you know 28 30 dollars a barrel but let's call it 25 30 dollars a barrel and then next year when the market rebalances and demand comes back and you're at 60 dollars and uh you know the administration wants to hold prices down so that prices at the tank aren't three four dollars he'll start to sell that off back into the market at a double at sixty dollars and make the taxpayers three four five billion dollars uh save a, a couple million dollars a couple um potentially a couple million energy sector and ancillary jobs in the interim, save the credit markets, lower the cost of borrowing for companies to get us through this period. And all of that could have been done for two or three billion, but instead, you know, we went for 2.3 trillion without dealing with the source of the problem. Leaving that aside, the administration knows that, Congress didn't figure it out, but the, they'll get it done. You know, the, the old saying, Americans always uh, make the right decision after we exhaust all other options. I think that was... Um, Winston Churchill. I could be wrong on that. So if uh, someone knows the answer to that, put it in the comments uh, <laughs> under the video if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, okay, so we've got a lot to cover, but that was the key thing at the end of the week. That will really go a long way to stabilize the markets. The other thing that was nice to see, you know, after a 35% drop in the general indices, uh, we had a 20% rebound. And then this week, we only fell 2% on the S&P. Uh, which is showing st signs of stability. Um, so we'll just kick it off. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank, I uh, was on Yahoo Finance on Wednesday. This is a really important one to watch. I was thinking about playing it on this, but uh, play it on your own. I'll try to cover most of these points. Uh, I want to thank Miles Udland, uh, Olivia Balsamo, Dan Rogers, Melody Ham, and Jared Blickery over at Yahoo for having me on the show on Wednesday. We went into quite a bit of detail on all of these factors, which we'll, which we'll cover um, in this videocast podcast. Then I also had the opportunity to be, uh, oh, and you can watch it right at the Yahoo site as well. So how you access these, you just go to featured on and they're all listed there. Uh, on Monday, I was on Bloomberg Turkey. Uh, <laughs> that was an interesting experience with Translator. I want to thank Simon Demikin and Achil Sezen. Achil is the host and Simon was the producer that runs the show. 
Uh, thanks for having me on that. You can listen to it, but it has a translator, so uh, you have to kind of watch my lips. And Or if you speak Turkish, that's even better. Uh, also want to thank Ann Schraders for having me in her Fortune article this week. Uh, this one was really interesting. She said uh, three things that need to happen before the stock market hits bottom, says Goldman Sachs. I have a few quotes in here, but the most important one was... Uh, uh, Great Hills Hayes is watching. The news will continue to be worse, but as the market starts to show strength on bad news, that's when you can start to consider that we're at a turning point. That means the market has probably discounted a lot of the worst case already. Now, it's interesting that I mention that because uh, Tom Lee, who many of you know, he's a regular on um, CNBC and Yahoo and uh, all the major stations, um, he put out a tweet this morning, uh, jobless came 6 million, today's employment re result negative 700,000, freakishly bad, but stocks not limit, limit down like the past six weeks. This is a notable change. Markets bottom on bad news and the stability scene uh, the last few days is telling. You know, this was a sign of the market starting to behave well on really bad news. In other words, the market's already discounted a tremendous amount of pain. That doesn't mean it's the exact bottom, and we'll get into that in this uh, videocast podcast. Uh, the other thing, while I have I, while I have his tweet up, actually, um, New York State, he was saying as of today, Friday, outperforming the best case Cuomo models. So... Um, uh, he was just showing that the New York case growth flattening and possibly peaking. So that is a big deal if that comes to bear. And what's interesting about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but last week, the Health and Human Service, uh, I'm sorry, this last week, New York State took delivery of 10,000 dosage of hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC. And I don't think they're also doing the zinc. There was another doctor in New York that treated 600 patients. They claimed he had 100% uh, success rate. Uh, again, that's anecdotal, um, but you can Google it. Rudy Giuliani has a podcast, I guess, and he interviewed th this doctor. And it was, he also uses zinc. But anyway, it's interesting to see that this flattening seems to be correlated to the date at which they started the 10,000 person test on hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC, uh, azithromycin in New York state. We still haven't gotten any results on that, which is surprising to me because I had expected within the first six days, but two days ago, President Trump said at the press conference that they'd only started the test three days before. So I don't, I don't know what was going on for that week, but the point is, if they started it three days ago, that's like five days ago now. So over the weekend, we should start to see some stuff. Now, um, Dr. Fauci kind of threw a wet blanket on that today, saying it's not a um, shotgun drug or, you know, uh, or a cure-all or anything like that. And we all know that. That's not news. Uh, you know, the tests that we've seen around the world... The most recent one, the most recent Chinese test was actually very promising because it was a stricter test and showed really good results. We're seeing, obviously, the anecdotal 
of real successes like the doctor in New York with 600 patients, like the guy in the New York Post today and a couple others over the week. But, um, you know, the, the, the real issue that you're seeing on this um, drug is for people who have heart conditions. So apparently the combination, so the risk for like 10% of people is that if you take ZPAC and hydro, hydroxychloroquine together, it can you could potentially have uh, an arrhythmia, like a heart problem, um, where your heart goes out of rhythm. And so that's literally like 10% of the population. The other at-risk population, there was an article in the LA Times, is um, people taking anxiety or depression medication, which I guess is another 13% of the population. So let's just call it 20% of the population, you know, it's probably blended 15, but let's call it, you know, 15, 20% of the population should not take this combination because it has a contraindication. Uh, like any other medication, you know, if, if they said peanuts cure coronavirus and you have a peanut allergy, you wouldn't be able to use peanuts to cure it. It's the same thing with this. But 80% of the population potentially can use it. And if the anecdotes hold true and these uh, uh, rigorous tests and, and most importantly, the test that's happening now in New York, that's going to be the big tell, um, uh, have, you know, 80% or so efficacy. What we're seeing anecdotally, the earlier you take it, the better you do. So like if your lungs are already filling, it's, it's late, but they're even seeing some good results with that. Um, but you know, my view would be, you know, the minute you see a temperature go up, if people could get access to it that wanted it and we saw that the results were efficacious, we could really help this. And the other interesting thing about this is is if it's so terrible, why has India um, – I have the government PDF I, I sent around. It's probably – I posted it on Twitter. You can see it in my feed at hedgefundtips.com. So this is not the official government thing. But basically every healthcare worker in India is mandated to take – the hydroxychloroquine prophylactically. So they're taking it as a preventative. And again, you know, people are going to say, well, it's not proven in this and that. So you can, all we can do right now is go by the anecdotes, hope for the best. Maybe it's not it, but we also have remdesivir from Gilead, which is for more serious cases and not, not necessarily used as a prophylactic. It's used to pull people back from the brink. And those results should be out in coming weeks. And we're going to, you know, there's an open letter from uh, Daniel O'Day on March 28th on the Gilead website. You can read that talking about, uh, uh, you know, exciting progress with the antiviral. So the good news about the hydroxychloroquine is, yes, so the Indian government's now doing that as a um, prophylactic. The Italian government started doing it, and that also coincided with they're flattening actually their curve has now peaked so let's just uh well we'll get to that in a little bit so um good things happening on that front again you know i, I agree obviously it's not like the magic bullet per se but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that says and i think the other aspect that why the government is throttling. One, we need to get more data from the 10,000 unit test. Two, they just took delivery on 
30 million tablet doses on Sunday, Health and Human Services did. So they, they're not taking delivery to throw it out. There's obviously some belief that it'll have some value. And I think the other thing is, uh, unfortunately, people went out and started buying it even if they didn't have uh, um, coronavirus. And people that have lupus and uh, rheumatoid arthritis have been using this for years. So, you know, they need that. Uh, what's great about that is not only has it been used for 80 years for malaria and really most people can use this stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, and people using it for lupus, you know, many people have used it for years and years and years. So it's a very strong drug, but it's, we know the levels of safety. So if you have lupus and you also have a heart problem, you probably can't take this drug, but it, but it works, uh, as an antiviral. So uh, that's it on the drugs for now. Let's just finish off this and get down to the meat of the podcast for this week. So, um, okay, so thanks again for Ann Schrader's in Fortune. You can check that out on the site. Also, um, Melissa Brock, she's the money editor at Benzinga. She did an article uh, at this site called College Money Tips. And she asked, you know, people are worried about being able to pay for college next year for their kids. Did I have any view on the market? So uh, my quote was, you know, balanced portfolios may take a hit in the short term. But if you look out 12 to 24 months, we're seeing a strong, you know, we're looking for a strong recovery. The government learned from the last financial crisis. Uh, and rather than waiting for things to break before stepping in, They've already provided up to $7 trillion of aid and liquidity to fill what is projected to be a $1 to $2 trillion contraction in growth. This too shall pass, and we may wind up better than expected on the other side. So that's really hard to see today after the employment number. Like, the pessimism was 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 palpable today. There's no question about that. But that's part of the bottoming process. I'm, I'm not saying we're at a bottom uh, and you know, you should definitely check out Miles' show, the uh, the clip that I had there on Yahoo, where we go through the different scenarios, and we'll cover some of that on the call. But um, what people are so basically in the Great Financial Crisis, they waited for the plate to fall off the table and break on the kitchen floor, and then they tried to glue it back together with seven hundred eighty-five billion dollars of stimulus. What they've done this time is they say. Okay, we're shutting down the economy. We see that the tape, the plate's going to fall off the table. So they put out this huge mattress on the floor rather than letting the plate crack and this or trampoline, okay? So when the plate falls, it could bounce back, it could go it could fall down and it could bounce back up very very quickly and you could then catch it and and gently place it back on the table so it wouldn't crash and scatter all over and you try to piece it together. So that was the strategy they used in 2008. Part of the reason it took many years for the economy to recover and people to start to feel better and more confident. In this instance, they are throwing every kitchen sink under the sun at it. And we'll, we'll go into that and how that's going to alleviate the blow. And the, the quicker we can get the health aspect taken care of, the this the faster and bigger the rebound will be off of that trampoline. So we'll get into that today. Uh, so thanks, Melissa Brock. And uh, also Abhishek Vishnoy of uh, Bloomberg. Thanks for putting me in your article this week, what investors will we be betting on next quarter. Um, they spelt my name wrong, so I'm 
Thomas Reyes instead of Hayes, uh, chairman of Great Hill Capital. So I didn't post that on the website, but I was talking about Takeda uh, Pharmaceutical in Japan, who has a, a blood plasma treatment for COVID and uh, in the works and also to Toyota Motors. So thanks, Abhishek. You know, I'm half Portuguese. I'm not sure if Reyes is Portuguese, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, th thanks for uh, thinking of me. Now, down to the heart, the meat and potatoes of this week, this article you can find on the site, hedgefundtips.com. Uh, it's right here. It's actually the most popular post this week. The work from home stock market and sentiment results. So, uh, here we go. So each week I try to tie the theme of the stock market to a song that embodies the news of the day. And this week it was work from home. You know, we're all in the rhythm of shelter in place. And this was Fifth Harmony. And I also chose this because um, it dealt with, you know, building houses and infrastructure and everything else. So it, you'll see how it ties in uh, in coming weeks. The theme of uh, how it ties in as we go through the article. So the basis of what I, the argument I tried to make on Yahoo on Wednesday was that it's a bad news, good news economy. The, the news is going to really continue to get worse. Okay. And we saw an evidence of that today. It was horrible. We're seeing people that we know, particularly here in this tri-state area, we're in the heart of it. It's palpable. It impacts our how we think about it. So the news is just getting worse and it's probably going to keep getting worse. Although some of the flattening numbers that uh, Tom Lee put out were somewhat quasi comforting, but you know, no one's feeling it because we're just getting used to this, you know, new normal that we'll have to deal with in coming weeks. Um, so that's that. That's the bad news. The good news, as I started to make the case for, is that a lot of this is discounted in, you know, the market collapsed 35% in a matter of weeks because it was expecting a really horrifying outcome, which we're getting. So now that the market is expecting horrible things to happen and it's starting to act better and better, not being limit down every time we have bad news, um, where the circuit breakers kick in at the open, like we had a couple times uh, in the midst of it. Um, the question is, will we start to see green sprouts in the next week or two, like President Trump getting this uh, oil deal done and credit markets stabilizing, like maybe New York State flattening, like maybe getting some uh, more than anecdotal results from hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, uh, I mean, you know, the other thing that's very interesting about the hydroxychloroquine and the azithromycin is, you know, once those 30 million tablets came into HHS, all of a sudden major pub credible publications started to cover the, the quasi-legitimacy pros and cons of this drug combination. So they, they covered it and they said, there may be something here. Anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of good things. But, you know, for this demographic, it can have a contraindication. It could be dangerous uh, for a small percentage of the population. So the Wall Street Journal did two articles right after that came in. And I think there's something to it. One, they're waiting for more data from the results. But two, I think they're actually 
before they get everyone excited about this, they're waiting to make sure we can get enough supplies for everyone, okay? And that's really a key thing because India shut down exports. That A lot of the generics produced in India, they want them all prophylactically for their healthcare workers and their mass population. So we got to make sure that we have the supply uh, um, chain in gear. That's the bad news. The good news is it's a simple drug that's been around for 80 some odd years that's been used forever for malaria. So we should be able to piece it together, hopefully to get 100, 200, 300 million doses if we need you know, to have it in the stockpiles. And I think as more and more of that comes in, I think Novartis sent us 30, 30 million, Bayer sent us a bunch, Teva, Mylan. So there are a lot of producers that we should be able to um, to get this going. And I think the more we get supply, the more people are going to talk about it because everyone will have a shot at uh, benefiting from it, all the people who need it. But so not only the Wall Street Journal, and there was an ex uh, governor of Kansas who's a doctor who said we have to take this seriously this can work uh, and we have an obligation to do it so that was two articles in the Wall Street Journal this week which is you know a little more conservative and then there was uh, an article in the New York Times a malaria drug helps virus patients improve in small study so the Times held off and to their credit uh, this was April 1st they held off on talking about the drug until you got this um so you can pull up this drug, this uh, article in the New York Times. Until this study was, okay, this study was completed in China this week, which was, um, I don't know, the doctors watching will know, it's like double blind or, what, it, it's a more serious test. They needed to see a more serious test. Well, they got it. The test results were very positive. It's from China. So people have some skepticism, but it looks like a rigorous test. And that's when the Times started to, New York Times started to acknowledge it as a possible thing. Again, covering, oh, and when you go to the New York Times article, Malaria Drug help, Helps Virus Patients Improve in Small Study, they have the link right here to the study. That's what I was getting to here. So you'll be able to see that on your own. And especially the doctors and scientists will really appreciate what it is and what it isn't but the fact that we're seeing balanced coverage on this now tells me that as production comes in this will be our first line of defense obviously everyone wants remdesivir to work from gilead because it's a home run and it's directly made for this but that's going to be time number one number two the dosage of z-pack and um hydroxychloroquine it's like twenty dollars for a week or something like that according to the doctor in new york who treated 600 patients so that can be widespread out to everyone, even prophylactically, if, if it's proven to be safe and uh, efficacious in coming, hopefully in coming days. That's a great, massive solution. And then as far as the Gilead drug, that'll be for more serious people. Obviously, that's going to be much more expensive. And we don't know what their production capacity is to ramp up quickly enough. So we need a solution to this right now. Um, you know, for, for a widespread drug, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll start to see that. So that was the New York Times, um, FDA breakthrough on treatment. I think this was the one with the former governor of Kansas. Anyway, you can Google them in uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. So back to the article. So in the, um, so how I worked out the math 
on Yahoo Finance this week was I basically said much is discounted into the market. And I took the worst case scenario from um, Jeffrey Gunlack's double line conference call this week. He's uh, the bond, the new bond king. He has a huge business in California. And he had a slide in his deck, slide 20, which showed the estimates of all the major banks for Q2 2020 GDP contraction and Q3 recovery. And this was as of Wednesday, the average estimate for Q2 GDP contraction was 16.7%. So on the recording, you'll see, I said, basically, let's just take round numbers, $20 trillion economy, $5 trillion a quarter. Uh, let's round it up. Let's say it's not 16.7% because the estimates range from negative 7% to negative 30%. They even Some of these guys even came out with worse numbers today. 38%, I think, one, one group came up with. So let's call it negative 20% for Q2, which 20% off of $5 trillion is a $1 trillion. And the consensus as of Wednesday, the average was 9% positive rebound in Q3. Let's just scratch that out, and let's say we have two quarters of negative 20%, which I think is unlikely, but let's let's start to think about worst case scenario. And so you've got a $2 trillion contraction of GDP. Well, let's take a look. So that's the size of the pothole that has to be filled. And let's do the math. Oh, oh and here, by the way, you don't even have to pull up Jeff Gunlack's thing. I sourced it right here. We got over $2 trillion of stimulus. This is direct checks that are coming in people's mailbox. They promised three weeks. Now it's as direct deposit will be within two weeks. So that means some people will probably be getting it in the next, you know, 10 days or so. So money in their mailbox. And for the family of four, you know, 1200 an adult, two kids, 500 a kid, $3,900. For many of the people that are going to be receiving that, it's probably more money than they were making. For others that were making a lot more, sure, they'll take a short-term hit. But it's it's a good bridge until we can get this health curve to flatten and, and start to roll over. The other aspect of the health curve flattening was Dr. Gottlieb, Scott Gottlieb, who's been on CNBC every day, he it was the former FDA commissioner. He's now a director at Pfizer. Um, he put out a plan on Sunday night. You can find it at AEI. It's a think tank, American Enterprise Institute, AEI.org. Just Google it, Scott Gottlieb. It's like a 30-page deck. And he basically talks about all the different treatments that we have and how we're going to get society back to work on a rolling basis. And he talks about initial stages and phasing different places around the country. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll be wearing masks initially when we go back to work, et cetera. And, and the testing and the serum testing. So, you know, getting people as they recover, getting people back to work quickly. Uh, definitely check that out. Go to AEI.org. It's on my website probably under one of the key reads as well or in my Twitter feed, but you can just Google AEI.org, Scott Gottlieb, and you'll see it there, the plan to recovery. 
So $2 trillion hole, $2 trillion package. That's the first component of it. Uh, it breaks down you know, direct payments, loans to businesses, and the $350 billion of loans to businesses through the Federal Reserve Act can multiply by 10. So basically, that enables uh, up to another $4 trillion of loans to business to keep people on payroll, even if they can't work for the next four, four to six to eight weeks. If you keep them on payroll and you show that you kept people on payroll, 100% of that up to $4 trillion will be uh, forgiven. So it's basically shifting them from the unemployment rolls to keep them on payroll, and more importantly, so that you don't have this uh, process where when we're able to go back to work, you have to rehire and find new labor, and then it takes six more months to get production back up to the level it was. You keep them on the payroll, your loan's forgiven, and we get off to the races. So I think you're going to start to see as these loan applications go through, as of 3 p.m. today, already they approved $1.8 billion of loans. I retweeted Secretary Mnuchin, who, by the way, has been the most valuable player in this process, getting the deal done uh, with Congress, working with both sides of the aisle to get it done fast and to get it administered. I mean, how can you possibly get something approved and five business days later, you're allocating $350 billion through thousands of banks? It's mind-boggling. Like, I thought I had a busy week. I can imagine what these people are doing. It's it's just we should be very, very grateful for uh, some of the people in place that are, are getting these things done because it will prove as we look back six and nine months to have made a miraculous difference. Again, the difference between the plate falling off and trying to crashing on the floor like 08 and trying to glue it back together and it's never quite perfect or sticking the trampoline underneath, let it fall, let it bounce back up, gently place it and we're good to go. So the New York Times had an article here, you can click on the link, that explains how that facility multiplies by 10x to get to uh, up to $4 trillion. So, so you've got, again, $2 trillion pothole, you've got $2 trillion of direct, over $2 trillion of direct aid and, um, for individuals and for businesses and for states and for hospitals. It's all listed here. You can see where every dollar goes. Then you've got another $4 trillion of expansion through the Fed, direct business loans, so that's $6 trillion of liquidity. Then you have the Fed has increased its balance sheet. It's now up to uh, $5.8 trillion. Uh, $5.8 trillion. It's gone up about 2 trillion since August, over a trillion in the last couple of weeks. And the attribution of that, which was really interesting, um, besides the energy market being of paramount importance to the credit markets and what was rattling the market and causing all kinds of margin calls and um, real dislocation, is the mortgage-backed security market. So what the Fed did last sometime last week, it was right around when um, that day where there was a famous manager on CNBC and the market bottomed. Um, 
they stepped in and you'll see, you can't see over to the right, but you'll see this number here. Uh, in the last week, they did 1.4 trillion of mortgage-backed securities. So that totally stabilized. And you saw some of the closed-end funds have been up like 50% off their bottoms uh, because they stepped in to backstop that because they know there's going to be issues with rent. And But it's a temporary thing if we can you know, get through this. So the Fed stepped in with, with 1.4 trillion of purchases. And the thing that we found about QE, we put out a note from McClellan last week and he traced balance sheet expansion to the stock market. This takes a, has a little lag time. These direct asset purchases are, are, are helpful because you feel the effect more quickly than you do from rate cuts. Rate cuts usually has a lagged effect. Both tightening and cutting has a lagged effect of six to nine months. So we'll get the benefit of the cuts to zero, you know, six to nine months out as demand is picking up. Um, but the balance sheet does stabilize things more quickly. And so you take the two trillion of uh, stimulus, the four trillion of expansion of the business loans, another you know, call it two trillion since August, but let's let's just call it a trillion, trillion and a half. That's seven trillion of liquidity that's been made available. Again, the pothole is only two trillion dollars, probably worst case scenario. Some people will say, no, no, it's gonna be worse. Okay, it's three trillion, but you still got seven. So if the pothole's two and you've got seven trillion of asphalt, you can see as as the case curve peaks, and I know it's hard to see right now because like you're seeing these hospitals and, you know, full and watching the news and hearing friends and family being affected by it. It's, you know, it's scary and it's not fun. I mean, no, no one likes this. That's that's for sure. But there there will be a light at the end of the tunnel, both most importantly on the health side and then on the um, stock market side and then on the ec economy as, as a whole and probably in that order. Um, so. And then the last part is earlier in the week, President Trump tweeted about having a phase four infrastructure bill, $2 trillion, go big or go home. Uh, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi seemed perfectly on board. Of course, they'll have to negotiate what's in it. But this was also consistent with the Fifth Harmony song about work from home. She's pouring cement. So let's call that seven trillion. Well, this will be nine. If they get the two trillion, you add that to the seven. So call it nine trillion dollars of cement into a two trillion dollar pothole. I should have put some text over the uh, made it a meme or a, a gif or whatever they do on uh, Twitter. So Nancy's on board. Uh, Speaker Pelosi is on board. Interest in infrastructure has always been bipartisan, so hopefully they can get that done. And she made an allusion to April 20th when they come back to wanting to get that something um, like that on the schedule. Last week's note, I did uh, Luke Combs' Beer Never Broke My Heart. I put five, I, I put a list of catalysts that we were looking for moving forward. So the $2 trillion stimulus package that got done make workers and businesses whole until they're able to come back to the office. Although now, I, you know, the other thing that's going to come out of this, by the way, and I'm sure you're all experiencing it, you know, we're going to use Zoom for a lot more than uh, cocktail hours with friends <laughs> that, that we're using it during the stay-at-home quarantine or uh, stay-in-place uh, orders, shelter-in-place. I think people, two things I think are going to happen. One, I think the suburbs are probably going to have a boom, 
which will be a good thing. Hopefully we'll get a baby boom, which will drive growth and it's good for society. Uh, and three, I think we'll get the sub suburban boom one because of the demography and the age of the millennials that was going to kind of happen anyway. I think it will accelerate. Um, there were articles by the way, that, uh, the world is running out of, uh, condoms around the world. So, you know, maybe we'll get a, a new baby boom. Um, so the other thing is people can now move to the suburbs because they can see like legitimately they can now say to their bosses who were skeptical, like, can I work from home two or three days a week? And that will now be legitimate because bosses will be able to see through this period that people are very productive working from home and that will give greater flexibility and make us much more productive rather than, you know, door to door commuting an hour or two hours a day five to 10 hours per week for, for many people working in the city. Maybe it's only three days a week that they're doing that or two days a week and the rest they're working remotely. And when you work remotely, rather than working eight hours, a lot of us, you know, can work 10 hours, 12 hours, you know, or more. So I think it'll be a net positive. Also, uh, you know, getting on a plane every time you have to have a meeting, I think a lot more will be done by Zoom or Skype or, you know, Ring Central is making a new product. There'll be tons of products. Um, you know, and, and even for me, adjusting to doing um, some of these segments via Skype and via uh, Google Hangouts has been great. You know, you just put your suit on and you're right there and turn the light on. So uh, a lot of good things will come as we get through the valley. OK, but we got to go through the, we're, we're going through the valley now and, and it's tough. So the two trillion got done. The four trillion got done. That's six trillion. The Fed's backstopped all the assets, uh, you know, one point five trillion of balance sheet expansion. That's done. And that's unlimited. Phase four, two trillion, is, uh, which is the infrastructure, is pending. Positive test result from Remdesivir. That should be due in coming weeks. I mean, they, you know, that testing started February 25th. You know, it should have been about a month. So let's hope we get something on that in coming weeks. Uh, maybe we'll get the results from hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC over the weekend from New York. That would really be good news. Uh, it's less surgical than the remdesivir, but it's something, okay? And you got to be open-minded. People that can't take it or that it's dangerous for or there's contraindications, unfortunately, they won't be able to use it. Maybe they'll be able to use just the chloroquine without the Z-Pack, uh, but I'll leave that to the doctors and the epidemiologists and the experts on that. Um, but there's 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 too many anecdotes out there to completely dismiss it, you know, which, which fortunately is no longer the case as more mainstream publications are now covering it like the New York times, like the wall street journal. So let's keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best and hope the evidence is consistent with the anecdotes. Uh, new cases peak three to eight weeks out. Uh, let's hope, uh, you know, obviously we saw it in Italy, which is a big relief. Um, and we know with all the success stories and China is back to work and, yada yada but uh if we can start to see it in our epicenter in new york state and that continues to flatten which by the way seems to coincide with when they got a, got control of the uh 10,000 doses hopefully we'll see that that had something to do with the curve flattening it probably hasn't hurt that we also have shelter in place that's probably the most important factor of us being able to flatten out as well uh, the seventh catalyst I was looking for was OPEC reverses their decision and cuts production either voluntarily, 
because it's in their interest or with pressure sanctions from the U.S., it looks like they're going to come to some agreement and oil reflected that this week. So that was really good to see. That is going to be major for the credit markets uh, and, and calming things down if they can get something solid put in place. And then ideally, obviously, we need a vaccine by uh, fall or winter when this p could potentially come back. The good news is when it does come back, it's supposedly less bad or not as bad. But and obviously more people are immune. But, you know, we, we uh, let's uh, right now, it seems like Regeneron is the front runner. But there are a number of companies that are saying they've got something. So great. Let's let's see how it works in the tests. Um, as far as sentiment goes, the only thing, uh, so bearishness did hit a peak and it's coming down. So that's good. Uh, the only thing that I've had in the back of my mind is that the bulls never really got flushed out during this crash. So just something in the back of my mind. And as I said on Miles' show was that, you know, everyone is looking for a retest of the lows. And when everyone's looking for something, you might not get it, which means potentially either you overshoot on the downside and really flush people out, or we just consolidate here and then take off again and don't let anyone in, which would also be um, maximum pain. So maximum, when everyone's looking for a retest, maximum pain, the market's designed to cause the most, inflict the most pain to the most amount of people is the thesis. Uh, so the max pain would be caused either by flushing past the lows or by not letting anyone in here, consolidating a couple more days and then taking off when everyone was waiting to load up on the retest. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Fear and greed index is ticking up. Uh, it went from 17 to 22. So uh, that'll go in fits and starts. And then the National Association of Active Investment Managers Index, um, that rose from 10.65% to 25.87. And as I said last week, active managers will have to regain exposure in coming weeks as the worst of the news starts to move into the rearview mirror. We're not there yet. The, the worst news is still ahead, but it will get better. It always does. So what happened? Uh, they were down to 10% equity exposure. And of course, what happened in the market? It rallied 20% off the lows. So they missed that. Now they chased up. This week, it was down 2%, probably shook a bunch of people out. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, that's why the potentiality of max pain, meaning that just a sideways consolidation and then a shoot up and not let anyone back in is just as much a possibility as blowing through the lows. But, you know, everyone looking for the retest, I, I, I think the likelihood is you don't get a retest. You either overshoot or you just, you know, take a move back up. Not not necessarily to new highs, obviously, right away. It's going to take time to repair damage, but um, without retesting. So our message has been the same for the last three weeks. On red days, we're adding the highest quality companies and slowly, opportunistically, judiciously. And green days, we sit on our hands and do nothing. So what type of companies are we interested in? We're interested in like Wells Fargo was down 52% peak to trough. JP Morgan was down 42% peak to trough. Pfizer was down over 27% peak to trough. Coca-Cola is down 40% peak to trough. So looking two years out, are you know people going to drink around the world 40% less Coca-Cola than they did today? Probably not. Is Bank of America going to be do half as many loans with all the baby boom and people moving out to the burbs and the millennials having their first kids? Are they going to do 50% less business two years out than they did last year? Probably not. And the case I made on Miles' show was... Um, 
you know, the only way to win in this scenario is you have to take a one to three year view. And even if it's 2008, let's say it was October 2008, you bought right after Lehman collapsed. Um, you looked silly until March because the market corrected another 10 to 20 percent, depending where you bought. But by June, you were a genius when the market rallied 43 percent off the bottom. Banks took off, etc. The other reason I've been talking about banks um, and just to get to the next thing here i know there's just so much thing so much has happened this week so we're covering a lot here uh, this was the federal reserve balance sheet we covered the mortgage bonds this is what's happened to the balance sheet so basically we were at 3.7 trillion in aug at the end of august we're at 5.8 as of wednesday and most of that 4.3 to 5.8 is in the last uh few weeks so about a trillion and a half so you know no one can give Chairman Powell anything, any hard time now. He has gone guns blazing to help uh, save the day. So kudos to everything they're doing at the Fed. Kudos to everything they're doing at the Treasury, even in Congress, getting the bill passed and the administration. I mean, I think we'll look back at this in six months and say what they did was, and certainly a year or two years out, and say they saved us from a real deep, uh, long-lasting contraction to hopefully what will be a deep down and, and relatively quick up. Okay, the reason, so last week we talked about, and I also talked about on, on the show, um, the last time fund managers were this underexposed to banks was July of 2016. This is according to the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, which comes out monthly. And what happened from that point is banks doubled in the next 18 months. That doesn't mean it's going to happen now, uh, but usually when everyone's on one side of the boat, it's a good time to start to lean into taking the other side of the trade. And they're certainly on the other side of the boat here. Why? Because they're looking at net interest margin and the, the, the spread. So whether they can make money from borrowing short and lending long, and that spread is narrowed. As the market stabilizes, and particularly with oil stabilizing and the credit market stabilizing, the 10-year yield should start to go up, and that spread will widen, enabling banks to make more money. That's number one. But more importantly than that is the fee business. So on Wednesday, there was an article in the Financial Times that says banks stand to make billions from U.S. small business rescue. So remember we talked about the $2 trillion package. $350 billion of that was small business loans. Well, check this out. Banks will receive processing fees paid by the federal government for making these loans. These fees will vary with loan size. 5% for loans under 350000 which are going to be the majority of loans. 3% for loans under $2 million, and 1% for loans greater than $2 million. Uh, so that basically means on $350 billion, and that's not even including the expansion up to $4 trillion, but just on the $350, let us say the average is 3%, I think it's going to be skewed, it'll probably be 3-3 three, three on 350 billion, you're talking about 10, $10 billion of earnings that didn't exist a week ago, going to the banks, and a lot of it's going to be to the major banks, that's huge, okay, that's straight to the bottom line, so um, don't underestimate the fee income, don't underestimate the NIM increasing in coming months as credit markets stabilize, and, um, and most importantly, don't underestimate um, when people are so underweight. The last time that managers were this underweight besides July 2016 
was uh, right after the yield curve inverted last summer. So everyone was dumping banks when the twos and tens inverted, and that was the best time to buy them. They moved like 25% in the next three three months. So again, uh, going back to you know this is not this is our opinion. It's what we're doing, not what we're recommending. Uh, read here to see the terms, um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, last few things. Um, covered the banks, we covered the drugs. Okay, the other thing that was interesting, you know, we talk about the China um, case curve. Oh, okay, here's the AEI report from Dr. Gottlieb. It's called the National Coronavirus Response, a roadmap to reopening by Scott Gottlieb and a few other doctors, March 28th. So you'll be able to find that at AEI.org called the National Coronavirus Response, AEI, Scott Gottlieb. Definitely check that out. So we may be wearing masks for a few weeks while we're getting back, and that, that'll be fine. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is uh, we talked about even the Italy case curve has now come down. Uh, I think that has a lot to do from the anecdotes I'm reading from the um, um, starting to use hydroxychloroquine in Italy. Uh, and you saw this thing just turn over. Obviously, they've had quarantines, so that's a major factor as well, but we'll see how those test results. So that's from J-H-U-C-S-S-E is the source. Uh, the other thing, in China, we talked about their business recovery in last week's podcast videocast and article. Well, it was confirmed this week, the pollution report increase and the activity, the TomTom -tom activity reports increase was confirmed by their uh, PMI numbers, which came in at expansionary levels of 52, and non-manufacturing manufacturing came in at 52, non-manufacturing came in at 52.3. That was well up from their troughs during the worst part of their coronavirus of 35.7 and 29.6, respectively. So above 50 is expansion that is a v-shaped recovery so far in china Every, you know i i got all the feedback on twitter you can't believe anything they say well then why did they have such low numbers in the past so if they were so you're saying they only they only lie when they're good but when they're bad they weren't lying i i, I don't I, i'm trying to square that circle i'm not saying i trust all their numbers or anything like that i'm just saying that you see pollution going up you see electricity going up you know, if they're halfway as good as this improvement, it's a sign of, it's a ray of hope for us. Obviously, South Korea will start to see the same numbers. Japan, you'll start to see it. Singapore. Um, and it'll be fits and starts. You know, they open movie theaters, they'll close movie theaters. But they're getting back to work slowly but surely. Eunice Yoon, who's a CNBC reporter, posted a picture of her at a restaurant for the first time. I think it was either in China or Hong Kong and like, you know, they had gloves and all that stuff, but things are getting slowly getting back to normal. And you'll see that in Scott Gottlieb's road to recovery. Uh, the other thing is the daily growth rate has dropped below 5% for Italy and below 15% for the U S from the time China dropped below 10% daily growth for cases to when it dropped below 1% daily growth took about two weeks which is probably the best case outcome for developed market economies. So this is really positive news from JP Morgan, tweeted by Carl Quintanilla. Again, things are looking better in the developed market as our growth rates are slowing. So again, another ray of hope uh, 
take it as it can. This was the uh, potential flattening of New York in the last eight days. You know, they they got the hydroxychloroquine on, they were supposedly starting it last Tuesday, but I don't know, maybe it was later, but obviously the quarantine has played a major role in that as well, I'm sure. Finally, let's talk about, um, we did the PMI, we did the drugs, we did that. Okay, so now all we have to do is earnings. Obviously, earnings are now coming down to more realistic levels. People say it's going to be a lot lower, but uh, FactSet has 2020 at 159.76, which is probably still too high. But 183.04 for 2021 might be too low. Okay, they've taken these down in concert. They're, they're giving zero credit for what the impact, the lagged impact of seven to nine trillion dollars of stimulus and liquidity will have on a two trillion dollar contraction in GDP growth. Um, so this is probably overestimated. This might be underestimated. But even if it's, if it's real, we're trading at 13 times uh, forward. That starts to get really cheap, especially when you have a discount rate close to zero. So um, that's that. Uh, the sector earnings that we did, boy, we were busy this week. Uh, Russell, 2,000 top 30 weights. Uh, the cumulative earnings power of these 30 stocks declined by 2.57% in the past 60 days. That's unbelievable to me. My guess is that number will go down you know, a lot more in coming weeks. But the fact that it's holding up like that so far, that small cap stocks is promising. And IBD growth stocks, these are momentum high beta stocks, fast earning growth stocks. These are going to be hit more than the indices. They go up more when the market does well. They uh, get knocked down more when the market does poorly. But the earnings power of these top 30 stocks is only down 60 basis points in the last 60 days. So yes, all this will come down. News will get worse before it gets better. But, you know, I think the market's jumped to the worst case conclusions and it's underestimating one the impact of filling a two trillion dollar pothole with nine trillion dollars but two i think it's underestimating and jim kramer talks about this a lot is human ingenuity and science one of these antivirals is going to going to be very helpful and get production levels up to a point where they can really promote it and get it out there and then we'll get a we're, we'll get a vaccine soon enough i mean we've got the smartest minds in the world working on this 24 7 you got to trust in humanity we'll get this stuff done so that's it for today. This was our longest ever. I wanted to fill it up with a lot of information because so much is happening and it's a lot to process and get through. But I would say the theme is we will get through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Hang tight. Everyone's going full steam on the health front, on the stimulus front, on the support front. Even the banks to get their websites up in five days. They got a lot of stuff processed today probably $2 trillion. I would imagine over the weekend they'll get any kinks by next week. All the businesses that want money will get money. Some people will start to get rehired and kept on payroll so the business can forgive, uh, get the loan to be forgivable, and we'll move uh, onward and upward. So thanks for listening in. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Uh, stay safe. Be well. Be grateful for all the good things in your life, uh, spending, spending time with your family, etc., and um, and we'll get through this. Have a great one. Bye-bye.